Welcome back for the final time of the year to Hat Trick Lax Picks, the show where we have analyzed every game from every conference so you could make the best picks. As always, we have been your three hosts, the three Garretts. We have picked well over 500 games. We have journeyed with you since the early days of January through Memorial Day weekend. Like you, we have thoroughly enjoyed this season. Uh, An awesome tournament uh, with two overtime games and a pretty entertaining national championship game. Just a wonderful season, and it's backed right up to the PLL. So lacrosse isn't going away, but definitely the specialness of the Division I season has concluded. Yeah, I Division One lacrosse is by far my favorite sport of the year, without a doubt in my mind. And I think this tournament just showed it again. Like, it just... So exciting. I mean, both semifinal games going to OT and then Notre Dame getting their first championship ever this weekend. I, I mean, what a great way for that to happen. And I mean, it, Notre Dame winning also just solidifies how dominated this game is by ACC right now. I, I saw like a tweet somewhere that I think since 2009, when Syracuse won their last title, every single ACC team has now won a title at least once in those 14 years. And out of those 14, they've won nine times, and only five teams have won it another time, Maryland winning two of the five. So very impressive by that conference, and don't want to take anything away from Notre Dame this year because they were – it was their year, and I'll give it to Glazer. He, Notre Dame carried him to a win this year, and he he's the champion. He takes the crown from me. Um. I'll just throw it in real quick. The final standings were Voigt with an overall record of 400-159, and he had 537.5 points. I had an overall record of 422-137, and and I ended with 561 points. Glazer had a slightly worse record than me at 420 and 139. But because of the tournament wins that he got, he ended with 566.5 points. So he takes the crown for our little way that we divvy up the points and everything like that. And I think as long as I've been keeping records, I think this is the first time the person who didn't have the best record won the overall. Uh, I think typically the person with the best record is one. I, I might be wrong, but boy, I know you wanted to get to 400 wins and Notre Dame got you there. So. I'm happy for you, buddy. Yeah, I'm I'm very happy about that. Um, I mean, I, I said in our last episode or episode last week that, you know, if Duke and Notre Dame face, I would pick Duke. But after that first semifinal game uh, between Duke and Penn State, uh, once that finished up, I think, you know, ball don't lie at all. So Notre Dame, I didn't think there was any way Notre Dame or UVA weren't going to walk away with the win on Memorial Day. So very happy for the Irish. Um, great story. I'll talk about them later in the episode. Um, but, man, what an awesome team. Um, and what a great group of uh, individuals who, you know, battled through so much adversity and are just great guys overall. So it was great watching them play. Um, but, again, I'll, talk, I'll go into more depth about them. Uh, and overall, just a great season. Um, not only at mm-hmm. D1, but D3, a lot of parity. Um, I mean, with, who, Salisbury took down Tufts for their first loss of the season in very, in just very 2011 New England Patriots fashion, I guess you could say. Um, You're not wrong. That's a great. Oh, that's a great analogy. Thank you. I hope I got the year right. I think it was 2011, but it might have been. 2009 I don't know um but yeah and then we we talked a little about it earlier today Lenore Ryan just absolutely Absolutely. handed it to Mercyhurst like absolutely handed it to them slapped them in the face I I don't know how they took down Mercyhurst that way it was just absolute dominance 
25 in a championship is like what (laughs) yeah that's unheard of um so yeah lots of parody lots of drama for sure um i was very pleased by the big 10 uh i'll talk about a little bit about some of the teams there but i I think we can now give the best conference crown other than the acc to the big 10 whereas it was the ivy league last year now it's the big 10 and certainly with a lot of guys returning to these Big Ten teams, it'll probably stay with them next year. But we'll see. We'll see how the transfer portal works out this offseason. Mm-hmm. Shall we do our final top 20? Absolutely. Can. All right. I'll kick us off starting at the end and working our way up. Our final top 20 begins with Penn at number 20, Richmond. At number 19, North Carolina finished at 18, Utah, the ASUN winners at 17, and Villanova was at 16. The Bluebirds of Delaware are at 15. And that's actually, now that I look at it, I didn't have them that high. I mean, good for you guys to put them that high. And that, that program showed out to end the year, CAA championship. Mm-hmm destroying Marist and giving Duke a great game. So yeah, top 15 to debt for Delaware, all credit to them. And it pains me to say it, but yeah, Syracuse at 14. It makes sense. This Syracuse team, I hate to say it. They're very dangerous for next year. This is a very dangerous Syracuse team. And uh, I think believing them at 14 is a, is a good spot followed by Denver. You know, I think 13 is a good spot for them. A lot of questions arise, of course, with the loss of coach tyranny, but this is not a preseason. This is a postseason poll, so we'll leave them at 13. And then we got two Ivies at 12 and 11, Yale and Princeton. Uh, just kind of all year up and downs for these Ivies. Uh, clearly capable of beating some of the best teams, but also capable of just having a ridiculously mm-hmm. poor defensive performance. So I think that's a good spot for both of them. And bringing into our top 10, we have the Maryland Terps. Um, not going to say too much right now. I'm just saying. I have a lot of bad things to say about them um, come later in the episode. Uh, Cornell at nine, Army at eight, deservedly so. Uh, Patriot League champs beat Maryland, uh, who was somehow a four seed in the tournament. And then we got Michigan, who you know battled it out, won the Big Ten tournament, uh, made it to the second round, and you know played played a pretty tough Duke team. And at number six, we have Johns Hopkins. Um, yeah, good for the Jays. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the shade. Going into our top five, we have Georgetown at number five. The last team to, from the quarterfinals that made it there that didn't get to the semis. Our fourth team is the only non-ACC team to make it to the semifinals. The Nittany Lions. I. I loved this team this year. I really, I even texted Blazer and Voigt during that semifinal game, and I was questioning the fact that I didn't double down on saying that this is the best Penn State team they've ever had when they took that Duke team to overtime. I really thought they could do it. I, I mean, they deserved it. That no crease call is going to haunt just the sport forever now. Like, they missed one of the easiest calls to make. Not easiest. Let me rephrase that. They missed one of the most apparent after replay to make on the field because they didn't have rules implemented that they already have replays in for some things. I don't know why they haven't overlapped it to other situations like that, especially for overtime. That's crazy to me. But, you know, I'm not going to hark on it too much because what's done is done. Penn State's at four. I love this team this year. Backbone of it was TJ Malone. He had a great season and a great way to end his Penn State career. Number three. Our first ACC team from the big three this year, Virginia, the team that lost that heartbreaker to Notre Dame in in the semifinals. But like I said, credit Notre Dame for overcoming them and beating them after losing them twice. Number two, obviously the runner up Duke had a great season. Notre Dame was its kryptonite because it was one specific player's kryptonite as well being Brennan O'Neill. And our number one team to end the season, first-time champions, very, very, very much so deserved, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. 
fantastic top 20. And before we before I get into like dog of the year, I will say um, Penn State is still playing that semifinal game. And I think I speak for all of us that that game is still going on right now um, with how that game ended, quote unquote. Um, and I know I throw a lot of shade to Hopkins. I said at the beginning of the year in like our conference previews that, you know, I, as much shade as I throw Hopkins, uh, it was fantastic to see them, you know, step up this year and mm-hmm. like play pretty well as a unit unit. Um, it's good for college lacrosse if the blue bloods are playing at an elite level. Um, but it's also good that everybody else is. And that, that really showed out with teams like Penn state and Michigan and army showing out this year. So mm-hmm. fantastic job by those teams. Um, but now dog of the year. I don't think I've actually highlighted this guy individually. I could be wrong. I need to go back and check the tapes, but for dog of the year, I took Brian Tevlin, Notre Dame. I'm not going to name a position because that guy is just a lacrosse player. Um, Ultimate do it all guy. Uh, He finished the season with 13 goals, five assists, 35 ground balls and 18 caused turnovers. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't think you can categorize him to just one position, just a true lacrosse player. If Corrigan told him to take face-offs or hop in the cage, he'd do it. No questions asked. Um, heart and soul of the fighting Irish. I thought at the beginning of the season, he flew under the radar a bit, but once the ACC games got rolling and the tournament came around, he flourished and played awesome lacrosse. He also did the little things that no one else saw. There was a video, I think it was posted by lacrosse network or inside lacrosse after their semifinal game against UVA. He stayed on the field, picked up the trash uh, equipment that was left on the field, sticks, stuff like that. And anything else that wasn't supposed to be there after both teams were headed to the locker room, just a awesome player, a great leader. I think he was the captain for the team this year and just a better teammate. Uh, just an awesome guy. Love to see, um, love to see what he does uh, come the PLL season. I'll make one comment, and I think, I guess from when watching these tournament weekends so many years now, I feel like I find it so often that in the biggest moments, the teams that win natties aren't specialist teams. They're teams that have guys like Brian Tevlin. Like I think back to Ryan Conrad, right? I'm not the biggest Ryan Conrad fan. But they won with him because he he was a transition guy. He could stay on defense. Mm-hmm. He could play attack if he needed him to. Like, it, it, I think it always lends the question and lends it to the d- debate of have have has our sport become too specialized and are unique gems like Brian Tevlin what you need to gain an edge? And you know, I I'm not a coach and I'm not going to pontificate you know what I think. But I think it's interesting nonetheless that teams that are successful late in the year have do it all guys. Yeah. And even it's, it's funny that do it all is our phrase, but uh, as little as I like Kark and Quint, they do have a phrase that they say a lot, especially Quint that I do like, and it does signify a player like Brian Tevlin. He's an old school midi. A guy that can do it all. He stays on the field the whole time. He can play both positions and he can play both positions damn well. And the only thing else I'll say about Brian Tevlin, he's a great player. He deserves to win two championships. And the fact he did it with two teams is insane. But the fact that you can come in as a fifth year transfer and immediately be a captain at a school that you did not go to at all. And you're just there for one year. And it only took one off season for guys to trust you that much and look up to you that much. It definitely says a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. You could also just call him like not only do it all or um, or like something like that. He, you could call him just a glue guy, some guy, a guy who just keeps everything together. Um, he does yeah. what he needs needs to do for the team and, uh, you know, keeps the team rolling. And yeah, certainly a lot of those guys. I mean, Glazer said it earlier. Um, there are guys like CJ Costabile, Ryan Conrad. Um, I mean, if you want to look at a group of guys, look at the Yale short stick D-Middies the year they won the championship. Oh, my God, those guys ride and clear like you read about. It was ridiculous. So, yeah, 
no, if uh, you, you can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have like a glue guy or a do it all guy like that, um, you're going to have some trouble when you come across teams that have the same talent, but they have those guys. Look at the water dogs, Zach Courier, maybe yep. the pinnacle do it all guy in the history Absolutely. of the sport. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. All right. Um, ready to move on to our uh, dark horse collection. Yeah, every, our year team year awards. <laughs> yeah, every week you've heard us list off dark horse surprise, fun, and panic, and we thought it would be fun. Or we told you last week that each of us would pick kind of each category's per our personal team of the year in each category. And what better way to start off with the dark horse and dry band? I will throw it your way. Who is your dark horse of the year? My dark horse team of the year is the Penn State Nittany Lions. And this team just made me so happy to see them play the way they did and the rebound that they had. And my MVP for them this year, without a doubt, very easy to give, TJ Malone. Comeback player of the year, in my opinion, if that was even an award that they gave at the D1 level. This is just a, a really gritty team that I don't think needs justification to be the dark horse of the season because going into the season, if you were given the results of the year they had, the fact that they finished in the semifinals of the national tournament, and I showed it to any of us and probably most lacrosse fans at the beginning of the year before the season started, Penn State would be like, oh, they're a dark horse to win practically every game they did win this year. So the fact that at the beginning of the year, no one saw them doing any of this and dear God, not getting to another semifinal, like everybody thought they weren't even going to make it to the quarter to the semifinals of the big 10 tournament. So it's incredible that they did that this year. I mean, like I said, I touched on it, this PSU team, I, I don't think it had as much talent as the first Penn State team that made it to a semifinal. But I think this team was more together and they were grittier than that team. And I think because they didn't have enough talent, they relied on each other a lot more rather than relying on Amit and O'Keefe and not trying to take any away from that Penn State team because what they did offensively was phenomenal and incredible that year. And I also like that team a lot. But this Penn State team has something special about it. Uh, it's a shame, like I said, that it ended the way it did with Duke, but this team should be talked about for years to come for the things that they did and the way that Tambroni changed this program around in one year with the same, pretty much the same group of guys too. It's it's incredible. Hats off to them. Penn State, you had a great season. Boyd, give me your dark horse. So my dark horse team, I they weren't the biggest dark horse team this year. I'll give them that. But going into 2024, I'm petrified of this team, and it's the Syracuse Orange. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, the scary team, a lot of young guys um, who are returning, and they've already you know, started rolling with the transfer portal. They got Sam English and that other kid from Princeton. I forget his name, but I believe he was a starter for them. Oh, I forgot they did. Yeah. Yeah, so they have the they have two of their starters or two of Princeton starters now on their team. Um, yeah, I they certainly gave teams a run for their money. They didn't have a ton of success, but it felt like they were playing close games up until the second um, towards the second half of the season. Uh, and yeah, I'm very scared of the Syracuse team. Um, I mean, now that you have kind of gotten these young guys' experience. Now they're ready for, you know, take that next, next step on the ladder. So um, Syracuse, yeah, um, not the biggest dark horse this past season, but watch out for them next year, man. The ACC is going to be very entertaining to watch. And there's only one way that this team, that the Syracuse team, you know, messes it all up. And that's with you got to just look at the coaching staff at that point because you have all the talent in the world right now. Now you got to go out and execute it. Yeah. They're going to be, yeah. Agree with everything you just said. Yep. My uh, dark horse is probably, doesn't make a lot of sense given how favorited they were in their conference this year. But 
give me a moment. I'm I'm picking Delaware as my dark horse for the year. And I'm doing that in part to shed some light on kind of a non-power conference team, but also to kind of illustrate like the two-year span of this Delaware team in many ways of even when I doubted them a lot this year in there in terms of their abilities, in terms of, you know, whether they were a dog or a fraud or like if they were capable, the way that they finished this year showed me a lot about this program. And in many ways to not disrespect, you know, conference champions from the CAA, from the A-Sun, you know, maybe the Mac still needs some work, but this school continues to produce a great lacrosse team year after year. If you look at their schedule from the year, they lost to Villanova, top 20 team. They lost to Michigan, a top 10 team easily now. Lost to Hopkins, a top 10 team. Right, And they forget about the Towson loss. That's irrelevant. That was a make-believe game. But And then their only other <laughs> loss was to Duke. A one-goal loss against Duke. In which I, I think if you're Coach DeLuca, you, you're saying to yourself after Memorial Day weekend, man, we could have knocked these guys out in the first yeah. half. Uh, so, look, Delaware's a favorite. They're going to be a favorite next year. But I'm bringing it up as a dark horse to say this team's got potential. And they've showed it now two years in a row going toe-to-toe with the big dogs. And uh, I'm, I'm excited for them. I, I know they're they're moving off some of their key pieces. But I'm 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 interested in in seeing what uh what Coach DeLuca can do for this this Blue Hens team and see if they can get another CAA. What do we have next? Drive in. We are going the surprise team. Surprise. Oh, I want to say one thing about Delaware, for, for just as like a this is this is an incredible stat. I, like for who those who might not know, like Glazer just touched on. They're outside of like a mainstream conference, but Delaware had two of the top three point scorers in all of Division One this year. Yeah. In Ty Kurtz and JP yep. Ward, their offense was insane, like incredibly pro- prolific. So just, it's a really good program. Delaware is great. Everyone knew that after last year, and I think they should know that, have known that before that too. But Delaware is not going anywhere. JP Ward's coming back next year. They had a couple really good freshmen on offense. This is a great program, and they're, I mean, like, I fully expect them to be in the tournament again next year. I I don't feel like they're going to lose the CAA anytime soon. But give us your surprise. Move on to the next one. (laughs) So, my surprise team of this year has to be the Michigan Wolverines. I know another Big Ten team, but Big Ten surprised the hell out of me a lot. Well, actually every single team in how they finished the year, even Maryland. Uh, I, no one, including me, definitely would have guessed the beginning of the year that this Michigan team would have made the quarterfinals of the NCAA tournament. Like, no, I'm not guessing that. I wouldn't have guessed them to make the tournament. I wouldn't have guessed them to get far in the Big Ten tournament, much less freaking win it and get the automatic bid. Like, I, I, I knew this Michigan team had talent, and honestly, I kind of thought that they, you know, might do something with it. After their opening game to Virginia, I knew that they were going to lose that because it was Virginia this year. And after their next two games, it was shaky. They only won by one against Hofstra. And then they lost to Marquette in their fourth game. And I was like, okay, well, you know, another year of kind of building up the program for Michigan. This isn't really going anywhere. And then, oh, my God, did they make me eat my words because they just turned it on after that. And they ended the season where they did. And this program is on the up and up. The future looks really bright. Uh, I know Zawada just entered the transfer portal, but he also applied for his master's degree to be at Michigan. So he could be back next year. And if he does come back, that's basically the whole offense coming back for Michigan again. And I know I'm sure that they have some really good freshmen coming. That's only extra pieces to add to fuel the fire. And like we've touched on him, Hunter Taylor, their goalie, he's not going to have to split time because I think Carr is graduating. So he's just going to get the full reins of that defense and command it. I don't, this, this Michigan team, 
and the whole program is looking pretty good for the future. Zawada might have a fifth year too. Year. Yeah, I, I just I'm excited to see what they do next year, and I know for a fact I'm not going to overlook them ever again. Boy, you're muted, my friend. He's muted. He's got the old mute bug. Thank you. Yeah, I was typing out something, and I didn't want the audio to catch it. But um, for my surprise team, I I put down Penn State. But since Dryband already talked about Penn State a little bit, and there's not much I can add there, I am going to defer to my second option, and that was Bellerman. Uh, Bellerman finished the season 11 and six. Um, Kyle Playstead, their uh, their leading points getter, finished the season with 79 points. Um, let me see the rest of their guys. I mean, they had another guy, Benny O'Rourke and Christian Della Rocco finished with, with 60 points on the season. Uh, just a great season by Bellerman this year. Uh, finished fourth in the ASUN, made it to the ASUN semifinals where they fell to Utah. Um, they went wider, uh, they went wire to wire with, uh, Jacksonville. They beat Air Force, uh, just a great, great season for the Bellarmine Knights. They also beat Marquette too, um, which is something I don't think either any of us expected at that point in the season. Mm -mm. So yeah, um, not the biggest surprise team, but you know, a team that absolutely overachieved their expectations this year. Um, I think now with uh, Jacksonville moving on from some guys, um, I know they are bringing a few players from the transfer portal um, and uh, Air Force losing some guys as well. I think Bellarmine has a pretty good opportunity to run it back again next year and, you know, have the same success, if not even more. So, yeah, watch out for Bellarmine next year um, in the ASUN. Boy, I am so happy you included Bellerman in this because I was trying to find a way into them. But yeah, they won in a year in a in a year end episode or recap of the 23 season, you have to talk about Bellerman at some point. I mean an an awesome, awesome season for this program. Yeah. I'm gonna take my surprise team in a much more traditional pick. And I gotta go with Hopkins. And I know it sounds Homer of me, but if we can be honest here, like I know amongst ourselves, we were saying that if this was a bad year for Hopkins, Coach Milliman might have been on the hot seat, very realistically, given the expectations of this team and this fan base. So for them to have a standard Hopkins year, yeah, I mean, they didn't go undefeated and, you know, they, they didn't make the Final Four, but for them just to have the comeback year that they did... And to do it without a guy like Shaq Stanwyck or like Joey Epstein, to do it with just dudes, and don't get me wrong, Jacob Angelus, uh, Degnan, Russ Melendez, all turned out to be, you know, relatively known, very good lacrosse players, but not necessarily spoken about in the same conversation as your Kavanaugh's and your O'Neill's and your Schellenberger's. So for that Hopkins team to be as a cohesive unit as they were, to beat Maryland once, to make it to the tournament, to really play against Notre Dame for the most part. I think that Blue Jays team has a lot of uh, kind of get back on track momentum going into next year. Uh, and I think more importantly for them, this year was from a recruiting perspective, kind of like, yeah, Hopkins is still here. Hopkins is still mm -hmm. an attractive place to play. I mean, look, if I'm just going to bring him up, Brendan Grimes, just because we know him and he's a BL guy. Like, for a guy like Brendan Grimes, how cool is it that for four years he gets to play that schedule and then make the tournament? Like, that is a wholly unique uh, Division One schedule, and, and, and I think Hopkins players and the team is better for it. So I just have a lot of positives coming out of this Blue Jays season, and um, I'm, I'm, ex I'm excited for where they can go next year. Uh, but I will also add that there will be hunters next year. You know, Hopkins is no longer just the rebounding team. They they will be hunted. Yeah. All right, drive in. I know you're excited to talk about your panic team. Panic so team. Oh, yeah. 
<sighs> my panic team for the 2023 season. If you've listened to all of these episodes, I'm sure you might be able to take a guess. I don't even know if you pay that much attention. But I definitely have talked about this team in a panicky fashion the entire year. It is the Jacksonville Dolphins. This program is going in the complete opposite direction that Michigan is. Uh, They looked great last year. Don't get me wrong. Under Galloway, this program looked amazing. And that team last year had all the juice. And everyone had such high hopes for them this year because of that. I just, it seemed like everyone basically took for granted that this team would win the A-Sun championship and get the automatic bid. You know, noting the fact that there might be some resistance from Utah. Basically, Utah would be the only team that might put up a fight against Jacksonville, but they were going to get the automatic bid. And I think all three of us thought that Jacksonville is going to get the bid at the beginning of the season too, because there's not really, you know, that many teams in this conference that we thought would put up that big of a fight this year. At the beginning of the season, the shock from Hopkins, hindsight's 2020. Now we realize Hopkins is a really good team, so it's not that surprising. And then Jacksonville beat Duke, which is the only bright spot of the entire season. And, oh, did each week just show that that was more and more of a fluke. This team, to go from expectations of winning the A-Sun easily and trying to make some noise in the national championship to losing in the freaking quarterfinals? Like, you didn't even get a bye in your conference tournament. And you lost in the quarterfinals. I just... Yes, granted, it was to Robbie Moe, who is the defending A-Sun champs, but boy, oh boy, the Colonials also had a real rough year for their standards, too. So... I'm not trying to take anything away from that loss because it was a bad loss. I have no idea what this team is going to look like next year. They're losing a lot of key players. They are keeping some and they're getting some more, like Voight said. But I just, I don't know. I think the little window Jacksonville had to like become possibly a fringe top 20 team year in, year out, I think it closed. And I can guarantee that It's going to take a lot for this team to break into my top 20 next season if they even come close. I feel bad saying it, and I wish I didn't hate them as much, but oh my God, the fact that they had so much just juice coming in the season, I just, it boggles my mind. It it really boggles my mind that they didn't play up to it at all, period. And the only benefit that I can see to them having such a down year is that at the very least, Everybody on that team next year is not going to have that weight to perform that they might have had this year. That is the only silver lining to this. But they're my panic team, and I think for good reason. Boyd, I know you are going to have trouble getting through this one, but talk to us. Oh, no, I'm going to be very brief here. Um, My panic team is Maryland, and it's they're my panic team for all of the obvious reasons. Um. I was just very disappointed with how the Terps handled themselves, uh, especially towards the end of the season. And I think it all had to just stem from McNaney going down for the year. Um, I mean, look at it this way. The defense just carried that team all year. Kyle Long was the only player on offense to get All-American honors, and he was only an honorable mention, which I think says something about, you know, the turn that this 2023 offense took for, um, after the 2022 season. Mm-hmm. I just, I did not like how they looked late in the season in the Big Ten tournament or in the first round game. I don't want to be too harsh, but I'm realistic. This team was more like a group of individuals who play the same sport rather than a cohesive team this year. Um, just not a lot of togetherness. I thought there was a lot of selfishness, especially on the offensive side of the field when it came to taking big shots um, late in the game, late in games. Um, and yeah, I think uh, that just kind of behavior, you just got to look at Tillman on that. Um, he needs to address how he handles himself and how it affects his guys. Um, I mean, amongst the 
um, I guess, uh, the court of the people, I guess you could say, I don't know if that's the right saying for that, but, um, or in the court of public opinion, rather, Tillman has made himself to be like the pettiest coach out there right now. Um, Tom Petty. He's Tom Petty. Yeah. He is Tom yeah. Petty. Um, and it's not a good look. It's not a good look for him. It's not a good look for the program. I just don't think he carried himself the right way this season, and it trickled down to his players. Um, with McNaney and the graduate Dolan leaving, Rupel is the only other recruited goalie on this roster. They did pull up a goalie from the club team, but he was not like traditionally recruited to the Terps. Um, all in all, uh, this team has a lot to figure out this offseason. Um, and I'm very worried for how they will turn out. Um, now I understand I've been kind of a homer and being very critical of my favorite team. So if I had to put a second team out there, it would be UNC. Because yeah. the entire ACC is reloaded. And I'm just going off of their inside lacrosse roster right now. I don't know the official standing for any of their seniors. But Logan McGovern, Lance Tillman, Sean Goldsmith, uh, Harry Welford, uh, Andrew Tayer, their face-off guy, Henry Schertzinger, um, all those names that I just listed, one, two, three, four, five, six of their seven top seven points getters this year, gone. So very young team. And the ACC is only getting better by each year, so they – they look like they're in trouble to me. Yeah. My panic team, I, and I know we're still Big Ten heavy. It's Ohio State. Uh, yeah. And yeah. I am like, boy, you're you're right. Like Maryland is a panic team by the nature of the year. I think they do have some redemption in Braden Irksa. Like they, Maryland's Maryland. They're going to be okay. Like. They're going to be a top 20 team. They're going to figure it out. I cannot say that faithfully about Ohio State right now. Um, you go, first of all, this was a pretty highly touted Ohio State team. This is a tournament team from last year, a team that we probably expected to make it or at least contend with a lot of older guys. I just counted on their website. They had 21 seniors slash graduate students on this roster this year. 21. And the unfortunate thing is, I can't sit here and say, oh, if they're losing Jack Myers, that's going to hurt them. Because ultimately, like, he wasn't himself this year. The guys that they had that were their dudes didn't show up. And Ohio State went from being top 20, top 10 team, and then they played, what, the top three teams in the land three weeks in a row, in a row, lost, lost, lost. And they just fell off the face of the earth. I mean, mm -hmm. for Ohio State to lose to Michigan twice in two weeks in a season where the mantra has been, you can't be the same team twice. Well, Michigan had no problem doing it. This is concerning for me. And I know Dryband has harped on them not wanting to leave their nice new stadium. Uh, they're going to need to figure out how to win there and elsewhere because... The Big Ten is only getting better. The ACC is only getting better. And credit to Ohio State. They're like Hopkins. They play a tough schedule. But they are going to be – they are probably looking at, like, the sixth seed preseason of the Big Ten next year, uh, at least the five. Or I should say at most the five. They, coach Myers is a good coach. He knows how to work with his young men. But – this is a panic team, tried and true for me. I have a lot of questions about this Buckeyes team. Definitively the sixth seed because they have to play Rutgers on the road next yeah, year. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. All right. Shall we close it out with our fun teams of the year? Dry band, yeah. go ahead. Go back to a positive note again after that little just smearing of a few teams. So, my fun team for this year. Dipping back into the ASON again, Utah. I, I love this team. And I think everyone needs to just 
you don't need to, but I think you should take a step back and just remember how young this program as a whole is. I mean, they just moved up to D1 from MCLA. They were club five years ago. It took Notre Dame, what, they moved up in the 80s. It took them 40 years to get a national championship. And in five years, Utah already not just won their conference, but they absolutely dominated the ace on this year. I mean, they dominated it. And the fact that they were able to dominate an entire conference at D1 lacrosse five years after moving up, getting that automatic bid and getting into the national championship is awesome. And to top it off with the fact that this is such a incredibly young team proves just how insanely high the ceiling is for this Utah program. And on like just a side note really shows how good lacrosse is out in the West now, because just all these good recruits are going to go to Utah because it's a power five school that has lacrosse and they can stay decently close to home. So Utah, kudos to you. You are dipping into a gold mine with the products out there. Um, And I really, really, really hope above all else that this team keeps the same identity that they've kind of molded for themselves over the past couple of years of just a really fast pace, get you in transition and just a really free flowing offense, kind of like how Albany was with the Thompsons. Like that's kind of the same game plan as a Utah team has. And yes, sometimes it can bite you in the ass, the Notre Dame game. They got destroyed in transition just because that team was just very fundamentally sound and Notre Dame just wanted to make a statement because that was their first tournament game in two years. But, you know, anyways, this Utah program, in my mind, if it keeps going in this trajectory, they keep getting these recruits, they will be doing very similar things to what Michigan did this year very, very, very soon. Mr. Voigt. Let's have some fun. Who is your fun team of the year? So my fun team is the 2023 champions, Notre Dame. Um, I said it earlier, I was going to talk a little bit about them. Uh, Just an awesome team to watch this year. Uh, Even when I thought they wouldn't get the job done, they found a way. Uh, Just to name a few guys, I mean, you could talk about any one of these Notre Dame players forever. But just to highlight a few, the Kavanaugh's, Entman, Chris Fake, the combo of Brian Tevlin and McCann at the short stick D midi spot. Um, just an awesome sight to see. Uh, not only a great team to watch on the field uh, with how creative the Kavanaugh's are and just how prolific that offense was and how dominating that defense is, um, but just great stories off the field as well. Kavanaugh's, they both battled through injuries. Chris had stitches in his eye and got absolutely obliterated by Kenny Brower in the championship game. Uh, Pat was playing with a makeshift hamstring on his leg the entire game while it's all, while his whole entire back leg is purple and black. Um, Chris fake Brian Tevlin transfers from Yale uh, just became the bread and butter of their of the, of their respective positions. Uh, Chris Fake shut down uh, Brennan O'Neill in both of their games. Uh, and that's something only a handful of guys have done this year. I just went back and looked at the stats. Um, if you look at this game, the championship game from yesterday, uh, O'Neill only went one for one, one goal and one assist. There's only been two games or actually, no, there have only been uh, three other games where he was held to one goal or less. Uh, North Carolina, he went one for four. He had four assists, so he still had a pretty good day there. Uh, the Delaware game in the first round, uh, he had one goal and three assists against Owen Grant, who is arguably the best defenseman in this PLL draft this year. Uh and then go back to the first Notre Dame game. Only one goal, no assists. So Chris Fake uh, dominated that matchup against Brendan O'Neill um, this year, and that's something that needs to be highlighted. Um, Tevlin, I already talked about him and Dog of the Year, and just finally the the goalie Entman balling out in the tournament, 18 saves I believe in the championship game. Uh, 
just got the job done. And yeah, great team. Awesome to watch them play the season, certainly up and down. Um, and it was just that much more fun because you know at the, you knew at the start of the season with all the guys that they had on that team and how how 2022 ended, they were going to mess some people up. Can you guys hear this ad also? Yes. No, I can't. I can. Glazer, there's an ad playing on your TV, and it, we, Boy and I can both hear it. <laughs> there's an ad? I don't know. I oh, thought I that was you. Dri- I thought that was you. That driving. was me. <laughs> Go screw yourself. I'm like, I don't have anything <laughs> on my computer. Never mind. I was trying to look at the box score for the championship game. Uh, inside the cross ads, right? <laughs> Uh, also, um, before I go to my um, fun team of the year, if you pull up inside the cross, you'll see that Notre Dame is getting some transfers. No way! Oh my god! I'm, Wait, I'm like I, head the head page? Yeah. No way! Oh my god! No way! No way! No way! <laughs> Drive-in's favorite. Spray it and pray it. Devin McLean. Of course, they have spray and pray coming. God, that's absurd. Burlace too, the defenseman. Uh huh. Oh uh-huh. my God, Maryland just Maryland just became so much more panicky. Oh my God, Ajax Ajax Apatello is the only defenseman returning. Oh my God. Oh, that's insane. I am gobsmacked. So that means Notre Dame has to play spray it and pray it at the midfield. Because they're not putting him on attack. No, he, he doesn't get it on attack. He doesn't. Well, is, J- is Jake Taylor graduating? He's coming back. He's coming back? He's got. I cannot wait to watch Sprite and Pray it in the Golden Dome. The Kavanaugh's are going to whip his ass if he does that every game. <laughs> he does that the first game. He, they're, they're telling Corrigan that he has to sit on the bench. He's Pat's going to be like, he's sitting on the bench. He's done. He's done. Let him go. Let him go. Oh, my gosh. Who else do we have here? Uh, so McLean, Belomi, and Burles, Michigan midfielder, Bonomi. Wow. It's a collective. All right. My fun team of the year. Much like Bellarmine, this team, we cannot go throughout a, a cumulative episode on the season without talking about the Army Black Knights. Uh First of all, what a year. What a freaking year by this team. Uh, No one expected them to be contenders in the Patriot, and let alone they are contenders in the national tournament. I felt wholly confident in taking Army to beat Penn State in that quarterfinal game, and they had every right to believe they could. Um, But because this is fun, Army's fun because of their bench. All three of us have been on lacrosse sidelines at points in our life, in college and otherwise, and when you're at a D1, D3, MCLA, whatever, the bench in lacrosse matters. It matters a lot. You cannot tell me that Notre Dame didn't win that game. You know, them, Notre Dame scoring two goals in the third quarter and the bench being fired up as they were, I think ended that game right then and there. Even though they only had a two-goal lead, like the bench gives so much momentum, so much confidence. If if they're quiet, you you get you get nervous. There is no better bench in Division One lacrosse than Army. They are exhilarating on the celebrations. Like go YouTube them. It's awesome. They are constantly fired up on every goal, every defensive play, every save. This team scraps. They fight and claw for GBs. This team has been an absolute pleasure to watch this year. I hope they can replicate it next year. Love the Black Knights, and I think they, for me, were unequivocally the most fun team to watch. Oh, yeah. Army was awesome. Army was awesome, especially late in the year. Fully all, right. Um, all right. That, that kind of does it for... Our category of teams. Um, before we move on to like PLL stuff and all that, uh, 
sorry did you hear my message ding on my yes sir i guess we did sorry about that it's Um, okay boy we've had two fumbles now (laughs) oh they're staying in the recording absolutely i Um, wanted them all to stay in void they will um yes uh tawarton that's this friday correct saturday i think it's Friday. friday gotcha um what are your predi- predictions? I, who are the who are the five finalists again? Uh, I mean, it's there's CJ Kirst, Connor Schellenberger, Brennan O'Neill, um, and I know there's two more I'm missing. Dordovic. 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 And yeah, is Gavin Adler? Might be Sam Hanley. Oh, I think it might be Sam Hanley. Yeah. I, it's, it, yeah, I could, Adler's not in it. It's only it's only offensive guys. It's only offensive guys. If I could, I would like I, I would want to pick Liam Entman. I know you can't pick from outside the finalists, but like the way he played in the tournament, like yeah. If he had, if if there was a case for a guy outside of offense to win the Twarton, he did it this year. Yeah, I think I would have to. I'd have to agree with Entman. I would also just throw out Chris Fake as well because that guy was awesome this year um Mm -hmm. against o'neill against schellenberger um against any of the top guys he was matched up against he was awesome but i think if out of like the five finalists i think it's going to come down to connor schellenberger and brandon o'neill i would give it to o'neill i mean i get that chris fake stopped him twice but literally no one else did i mean that dude I'm so excited to watch him at the next level. I think he's just such a unique physical br- talent that if he gets the ball and he doesn't have a guy like Fake covering him, he can create a goal whenever he wants. I mean, the way he hides his stick, where he can place the ball, to me, he's the best player in college across this year. Uh, and I get Schellenberger's going to have all the stats and he plays a different type of game, but for me, it's O'Neill. I, I agree. I just, I, yeah, it, it, it has to come down to O'Neill and Kavanaugh, I feel like. And Schellenberg is great. I honestly think Schellenberg is going to win it next year. Oh, uh, is Chris, is Chris Kavanaugh on there? Pat Kavanaugh's on there. Pat Kavanaugh. Okay. Oh my God. I'm getting them. It's Dordovic, Pat Kavanaugh, Kirst, O'Neill, and Schellenberg. And okay. I, I really think getting to the championship game this year means a lot. And I think the thing that detracts from Pat, even though it's not his fault, is the fact that he got injured and his offense was still able to function fairly well without him being the centerpiece. Whereas if that happened to Duke's offense, I'm sorry, Duke like would be blown out of the water by Notre Dame. And guess what? He was on the field and they still got blown out of the water. So like, Brendan O'Neill took a team to the championship and he was their offense. Like he was the cog that moved everything for that offense. You can't fully say the same thing for Pat, even though he had an amazing year, you still saw that Chris Kavanaugh was able to do stuff. And Oh my God. Uh, what the, their midi starts with a D. Um, oh my God. Degman oh my God. Dobson. Dobson, yes. Eric Dobson is an animal from the midfield. And like Voight touched on, Tevlin. Like there's other players on Notre Dame's team that help complement the team. O'Neill was Duke's team. And that's kind of why I think that he will get it. And he does deserve it. Don't get me wrong. My Duke bias just doesn't want a Duke player to win it. But he definitely does deserve it if he does win it. Yeah. Um, All righty. Uh, any any final thoughts on the year as we will not be recording probably until honestly November December ahead of the 24 season any reflections on the year Dryband I'll let you go first cuz I have a question for both of you that is kind of in my reflection I it'll be an interesting off season congrats to Notre Dame again like the one hell of a team 
now comes the most interesting time of seeing where all these post-COVID transfers come to play and seeing where all these players go. It'll be that I think will shake up the playing field more than any incoming freshman will. And yeah, uh, it'll be exciting to see. Maybe an ACC team will win it again next year. Maybe an outsider team will win it. Who knows? Something something from to think about, and this this kind of popped in my head after yesterday. If Duke does not win a national championship next year and Brendan O'Neill does not come back, is he considered the Dan Marino of college lacrosse? I'd have to see how he played next year. Interesting. Because Lyle never got a natty. Yeah. That is correct. But again, Lyle's team necessarily didn't have the same hype as Duke for enough years. Correct. Yeah, Lyle also brought Albany kind of into the forefront. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he made them a program. Well, I don't want to take anything from Scott Mark because he brought Lyle there and let him make it into a program. But, like, he was the thing that brought Albany into the spotlight. Duke was in the spotlight and has won multiple natties before Brennan O'Neill was there. So he has all the tools at his disposal. I don't know. Just a question of whether you can do it or not. It's something yeah. to ruminate on. It is. It is. I think it's also hard to put that much pressure on one guy, but I mean, he is the guy. Yeah. Like I Absolutely. said, he is the guy, but you know, can they get it done? I mean, Dan Marino and the Dolphins were pretty successful, and they were pretty successful before um, Dan Marino ever showed up there. So. Yeah, that's kind of like the that's kind of the similarities that I see with those two. Um, but you know, we'll have to see where Duke is. I don't know if even Dyson Williams is coming back or anything like that or anybody like that. So um, I know they'll have McAdory, Balsamo, and a handful of other guys, but losing a, losing a few key guys as well. Helm was a grad transfer, so they need a new yeah. goalie. Yeah, need a goalie. Ledman's gone, so they missed their big shooter at the midfield. So it would be interesting, but something that I've been mulling yeah. over, like, oh, what happens if this doesn't happen? My reflections on the year looking to next year are, and I know it's probably going to rue saying this, but I think we're looking at, at least from my perspective, a more predictable year next year. Meaning, I think we know who the knowns are. We know the ACC, barring North Carolina, but you know, we'll see, are going to be the strong point. We know the Big Ten is going to be the strong point. The Ivy are probably going to be good, but probably go back to being the third best conference and kind of settle back in after their remarkable run last year. And then outside of that, who knows, right? Delaware will be good. Other conferences will be good. But I just don't know at this point if we're going to see the same level of surprise that we did this year, right? There were so many, first of all, there were so many one goal games and there were so many just strange surprise games this year, like Mm. Quinnipiac beating Brown, right? Things that you just are like, this is well beyond the realm of a regular upset. It's just weird. And I don't, we're going to see that a couple of times next year, but I, I just don't know if the the strangeness of like a Michigan fairy tale is, is going to be a fairy tale. Those storylines are going to replicate next year. So we'll see, of course, mm-hmm. and plenty of time for those stories to develop. But I think for as exciting as the 23 season was, I think the 24 might be a little bit more of one of those classic years, but we shall certainly see, but we don't have to wait that long. Tortons Friday. The first PLL games are Saturday. Uh, your whole summer can be full of lacrosse as we head into fall ball. So on behalf of the three of us, we thank you for joining us on this inaugural journey. We will be back next year. We can guarantee it. We are going to probably... Change a little things about our episodes, maybe bring in some guests, who knows. But we're definitely going to try to continue to make this uh, an ongoing, evolving experience. 
But it has been a true pleasure to do this. I know the lo- the three of us love doing this and we treat it almost as a religion. Um, but yeah, love you boys. Love doing it with you. This has been an awesome first year. And now we get to share our religion with all of you. <laughs> there you go. Boy, say it one more time. Thank you for joining us. And as always, go be a dog this week. <laughs>